Hey everybody, welcome back to Terminus, the You Suck at Parking of Extreme Metal Podcasts. I am the Death Metal Guy, aka, hey, do you like Gravedigger? The band, not the monster truck. Well, actually the monster truck too. <laughs> <laughs> and I am the Black Metal Guy, aka, the virgin going to the show to support the scene versus the Chad... Forgetting to go see Goat Whore because you're playing Heroes of Might and Magic 3. Oh, God, was that you? I, probably. <laughs> probably, that's I, I, I don't know exactly what I was doing on the date of the show, but there's a very good chance I was playing Heroes of Might and Magic 3. Well, I mean, that seems like... That that seems fair. Goat Whore are extremely good live, but Heroes of Might and Magic 3 is kind of eternal. It is, tr- I mean, truly, I hadn't played it since middle school, and I just realized, wait, this runs on my computer. I can play it with my girlfriend. Like, oh, it's a, it, it's a perfect game. It, it is. It is perfect, I, I'm glad you agree. Yeah, no, it, it, it's it's a wonderful game, and it, it does, but it definitely seems like a metalhead standby. You get a mm-hmm. bunch of metalheads in a room, and you start talking about Heroes of Might and Magic, and immediately everyone starts just jabbering excitedly. Because everybody thinks, for some reason, they're the only person that played it, right. but it really is right. like a middle school staple for millennials. It's, it's a secret handshake that's yeah. like not so secret. Yeah, it's a, you know... So. It's 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 weird and old enough to be underground, but broad enough that you can have a conversation about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's very very cool. So um, so yeah. I mean, and yes, Goat Whore is a band we never talk about on the show, but the death metal guy and I both agree are like really good, and they've kind of been iced out of the underground because they are the thing. The curse of Goat Whore is that their proper audience really is in the underground. But because they're New Orleans sort of sludge metal punk guys, they are too well connected. So they always do big tours in Vandy with, you know, with, you know, it's like Goat Whore is opening for Down or whatever, right? And half yeah. the people in that audience are not going to care about Goat Whore. Well, I think I've touched on this with like some friends of mine in the scene about how there's a, a very strange, like slim liminal space of legitimately very cool extreme metal bands who are on major labels and as a result you forget about them because like you know goat whore is i I think they're with metal blade right um you know and it's just like after a certain point you've been listening to this music for so long you're not thinking about any bands on metal blade you know a, a band in a similar position to them is origin who are like a really cool techie death grind band but I, I mean, they're they're on uh, nuclear blast, so you're just you're not going to think about them. I mean, honestly, Primordial is another example of that, right? That's the we we sort of try when we can to call attention to these bands, but yeah, Primordial's on Metal Blade, and although their music is should be like fundamental for dudes who like, you know, jangly heathen black metal, nobody ever talks about them. Yeah, it's a this is it's the. Uh, <laughs> It's the uh, DJ Khaled syndrome. They're suffering from success. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Well, that, that's the price of, of uh, playing the best music. How's it going? Connor here from Oncology, and you're listening to Terminus. All right, ladies and gentlemen, uh, we have a record for you. 
Uh, an especially cool one that I've been anticipating for a while now, but it's coming out on New Standard Elite, so as usual, it comes out when it comes out, and dates are always a little bit up in the air. Uh, CD version of this one came out in late September. This is the newest full-length by Internal Suffering, titled Rituals. Um, for those of you who aren't familiar, Internal Suffering are probably, I would argue, the flagship band of Colombian Brutal Death. Um, over the course of, you know, 20 plus years at this point, I mean, the original incarnation of this band uh, traces its roots back to 94, so damn near close to 30. Um, Internal Suffering has stuck it out uh, when a lot of Colombian Brutal Death bands tend to emerge, put out a couple albums, and then recede pretty quickly. Uh, this is the sixth full-length album. I have been a really big fan of this band since I was a teenager back in high school, so it's really good to have them back because it's it's been a while. It's been seven years since Cyclonic Void of Power back in 2016. Uh, what so, a sick title! Yeah, all of yeah, all of their stuff is really awesome. Uh, th my favorite is uh, Coronzonic Force Domination. <laughs> yeah, it's just everything's a big grunt. So. Um, uh, Colombian Brutal Death is a style that's really near and dear to my heart. Um, but Internal Suffering kind of has their own play on it. And I think this is a great band to start dipping your toes into that scene. Colombian Brutal Death tends to be very technical and yet paradoxically kind of sloppy at the same time. Uh, yeah, you know. You know, like five guys who are all very good at their instruments, but recording independently, not exactly sure when the song starts with each other. So it tends to be uh, really wild and chaotic, really grindy and extreme, but like fluidly technical and organic in a way that's sort of unique to that scene. Uh, Internal Suffering, on the other hand, are extremely tight, almost rigidly so. Uh, in a way that gives them uh, a super battering quality that wouldn't be too unlike, uh, actually, Origin, you know, who we were just talking about in the intro segment. Um, I'll get into uh, this album in particular a little bit, but uh, Black Metal Guy, as I usually assume, this is probably your first experience with Internal Suffering, so what do you make of Rituals? Well, it's hardly my first experience with Internal Suffering, but it's certainly my first experience <laughs> with the band. Fair, fair. All right. Um, I... Yeah, I don't know. I, I, I like this a lot. It is, um, it's very fast. It's very loud. Um, it's really cool hearing... Um, so, Morbid Angel, right? You and I were talking the other day about how, like, we want to hear 250 bands that sound like Morbid Angel. Right? Yes, uh, yes. And, you know, I mean, I'm sure for every 250, there's probably, like, 500 that suck. But we, we want them all. Um, and... Like some a certain like some of those especially legendary and generative bands, those two hundred and fifty bands can all sound different, mm -hmm. uh, and there are certain qualities in Morbid Angel that draw me to them. That internal suffer right internal suffering takes as you pointed out takes the the Morbid Angel basics and just extrapolates it into brutal death. Um, yeah. and reveals connections that were already there, right? One being that a lot of, certain school of brutal death is very thrashy, right? Yes. This or origin, right? Often we say tech death is crypto thrash, but there's brutal death that can be like that too. And so the thrashy aspect of Morbid Angel, which was always there, but especially on like altars, right? Is, mm -hmm. um, 
uh, is important here. Um, and the Lovecraftian lava riffs, uh, the strange interval choices, the grooving down tempo stuff, all that's here, but cranked up into a brutal death, um, uh, sort of brutal death velocities. Yeah. But the other thing is that because, because of that, it, um, it's interesting hearing a Morbid Angel-based band that strips out the things that most draw me to Morbid Angel. Does that make sense? So, like... So, kind of the, the like, atmospheric touches? The atmospheric touches, the, um, the sort of um, asceticism of it, right? The weird kind of bone-dry production. Mm-hmm. The, uh, um, the odd... Like, this has strange intervals, right? Internal Suffering has strange intervals, but, like, the truly odd songwriting choices, like the kind of um, intrepid thrash stuff that happens out of nowhere in Blessed Are the Sick. Um, yeah. Right? Um, the things that, like... And Morbid Angel always is, you know, one of the black metal guys' favorite death metal bands, right? So it's yeah. the black metal affinities, the sort of... Um, uh, the things that sound like dissection right before dissection... None of that is here. Um, all the things that the war metal bands draw from Morbid Angel, none of that is really here except for, okay, well, it's yes, it's loud and fast and thrashy. Um, so it's interesting to hear that. And, you know, good news is I still like it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah well, I think, um, like, another really direct point of comparison here that would make sense to me is for a... Another band from South America who draw off of Morbid Angel and push it into really extreme speedy directions, which would be Chrissian. Um, mm. oh. I think I think this is very yeah. comparable to Chrissian in a lot of ways. That's a good point. Yeah, like, and I'm talking about like old Chrissian, like Black Force Domain. I mean, you take Black Force Domain, amp up the technicality mm. and the speed, and you arrive at a place very similar to this. That's a cool album. Oh, dude, that's so fucking cool. That's the fucking title, unhinged. The title track is just, like, one of the most death metal things that's ever existed. Um, so uh, this is uh, Internal Suffering's first record on New Standard Elite, which is interesting in a couple ways. Uh, Internal Suffering's bounced around a little bit. Um, they were on Displeased for a while back in the day. They were on Unique Leader for a couple of records, and now they've arrived at NSE. Uh, which makes perfect sense because NSE is like a flagship brutal death label. But at the same time, um, Internal Suffering, a lot of their previous work was in a sense like more extreme than this was, at least in terms of like um, ultra linear chaotic songwriting. Like if you listen to a record like uh, two records ago, it was Awakening of the Rebel. That actually fits a little bit more into the NSE mold of just like, very difficult to grab onto, just bracing abrasion and constant technicality. And a lot of that is still present here on Rituals, but this is also an album that seems to be reaching a little bit more directly back to old school death metal, um, even in terms of songwriting. Uh, the Morbid Angel presence has always been like formative for this band, but it's especially pronounced here because, in a sense, these are songs built out of verses and choruses, which is very surprising to hear from a band this extreme. Um, so this is sort of a very slight step back in terms of sheer bracing aggression, but this is possibly the most memorable I've ever heard internal suffering sound, uh, which I think is a really interesting move to make this late in the band's career. 
So, uh, I mean, part of this is attributable to the lineup, which has just been perpetually changing from album to album, leaving uh, Andres the bassist as, like, the primary member who has been around from the very beginning. Uh, a lot of these guys are brand new um, as of this album. So there's, you know, different qualities in songwriting coming out, but still recognizably part of the Internal Suffering catalog. Um, I thought while listening to this that this could be a very good gateway record bridging the gap between, like, old-school death metal fans and modern brutal death. Do you see, like, potential there? Yeah, well, we've talked about that before, about, like, when will Brutal Death finally enter the fold? And, I mean, or... And I don't mean that in a bad way. I mean, bring this whole... We were talking about that a lot a couple of years ago, right? Brutal Death has this completely different vocabulary from modern death metal. Can Brutal Death... Can people bring that back into the main line of death metal and end up making stuff that's uh, 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 not, not blood incantation? Yeah, um, we were and, talking about that with regard to like the Embodied Torment EP earlier. Yeah. There was also a new Standard Elite release that was very, very extreme, but still recognizable to people who like more regular death metal. Yeah, yeah, and so it's um, that potential is here for sure. And I mean, I guess, I guess, considering this band, you could say, uh, I mean, really, that potential was always there. Same with Origin, right? Origin were a household name in the early two thousands that you now don't hear about that much anymore. Mm -hmm. But like, if you just like big riff that had bang, Origin has got you covered. Um, <laughs> That's it's, true. Um, you know, uh, the, the, the chug go very fast and, you know, um, but like, so I think maybe that's always been around, but streamlining the songwriting in the way they've done here, I could see being another step towards that. I mean, really this whole episode is like more accessible brutal death, right? The next band that we have is a very different attempt at that. Internal suffering is accessible while retaining the jackhammering extremity. Right. Yeah. And, in a sense, uh, they've just made it more retarded. Which, yeah, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, it's like it's like I wrote in the notes that it's like, as you said at one point, you know, quantity is a quality all of its own. So, in a sense, this is just a morbid angel record at three hundred beats a minute. But who who doesn't want that? Yeah, don't you want to? Yeah, don't you want to hear that? Yeah, yeah, I want to hear Morbid Angel even faster and more brutal. <laughs> so, um, with that, let's uh, let's listen to some music. Um, what what? This is a really cool brutal death record that has the uh, the rare feature of having cool, memorable stuff happen on every song. Um, this is definitely a record made out of a homogenous material, but. At this point, these guys are just so well-practiced at this style. They know how to make it in a way that is immediately appealing. So let's go to a track called Rites of Immortality, Deluge of Hidden Knowledge Attained. The, uh, the absurd, long, always subtitled track titles are a trademark of this band, and I, I can't get enough of it. I, I love the whole aesthetic of this band, which is like this hodgepodge of, you know sci-fi and uh, Lovecraftian mysticism and Warhammer 40,000 and cool orcs and stuff, you know? Mm -hmm. It's just, it's a wonderful melange. Um, so this is a really cool track. Uh, I want to draw attention to a couple things. Um, so we're going to start right at the beginning. If there is such a thing as a 
riff that is very distinct to Internal Suffering. It's going to be the second riff you hear on this song, which is this uh, very nervous sort of elaborate pedal poi riff with these quick sort of uh, stress-inducing chord spikes, not unlike a band like Deranged. And then what's also cool is listen to the drumming as the song really gets going, dropping from a really intense jackhammering blast beat into a modified thrash beat that pulls off this interesting time dilation trick where even though it's become less dense, it actually gets faster. As I was saying earlier, internal suffering it tends to be tighter and more polished than most Colombian brutal death bands, but uh, this music still has a distinctly Colombian quality of like the instruments pulling at each other, uh, sort of racing to get ahead of one another. Um, it's one thing for a band to be really fast, but the impression of speed and velocity is sort of a different matter. There are bands that are, uh, like in the tech death scene, that are extremely fast, but feel sort of, you know, uh, confident and loose and relaxed in their speed. Internal suffering doesn't feel like that. It is really anxious and intense, and you get the feeling that these guys are just always playing as fast as possible. It's, it's like we've talked about on the show why early 90s death metal in many cases feels faster than a lot of modern stuff that's at an objectively higher BPM because that, that straining quality, um, you, you just, you can't really get that with, with click tracks and like a really relaxed performance. Like you, you really need to be white knuckling your instruments to make it mm -hmm. sound this mm -hmm. fast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's just a quality that I always love and I really appreciate from this whole scene. So that is another part of making it 
Uh, one way you described the Colombian sound once, and I'm not going to remember the name of the band, but you used it especially for one really grotesque record we covered. Oh, it was the, the probably the Insalubrity record. Yeah, hideous cover. Music was just like extremely gnarly, but in a very cool way. Mm-hmm. Uh, you described Colombian death metal as slithering like viscera. Yeah. Um, and this... Although the production is cleaner, right, The um, and the riffs are maybe a little more hinged, um, this is, this has that quality, not just from how they play, but also in the note choice. So on that riff you're really interested in, that sort of... Mm-hmm. There are all sorts of like half-step bends that happen way sooner than you expect them to throw another note in. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's a liquid phrasing in the way they're playing them. Um, it's very hard for me to hum, right? Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, but, it's um, because it's just sort of like vibrating around a certain note. It it yes. it it has the effect of being like a a thrash pedal point riff, but you know the open string is unstable. You know, there's there's a tone that's sort of slipping around there. In a really interesting way. Yeah, that's... Yeah, I like that. It's unstable and... Um, har- it's, it's sort of harmonically unstable, but like temporally unstable as well, in that the emphases are... It's thrashy, but you can't circle pit to it or anything like that, right? It's kind of a... Um, it doesn't have the... Um, you know, one of the cool things about thrash is just a relentless forward momentum. Mm-hmm. This is fast, and I guess it's moving forward, but it doesn't. There's nothing so. Um, uh, there's not. It, it's it's harder to. It doesn't offer you an immediate physicality. The emphasis fall on very odd notes. Yeah, there there tends to be a. A lot of kind of curious rhythmic play in you know because that sort of riff that that what I'm calling the internal suffering riff you're going to hear a lot of versions of that across this record, but where those spike chords are dropped in is always at sort of unusual positions across the measure. I'm kind of wondering if the sort of pseudo accessibility of this music is really related to something as simple as internal suffering really doesn't do the sort of crushing pointillistic palm muted 16th note rums they're yes. they're very committed to like traditional trem attack and i wonder if that alone makes all the difference in how this comes across to the listener yeah that would make sense and i mean we've talked a lot about those 16th note runs that was um what was the record that was like the essence of that that indonesian band that did the record about war crimes oh that was um or maybe um, they weren't Indonesian. Uh, yeah, they were Filipino. Uh, I want to say it was Exterminated, I believe yeah, was the name. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's an excellent... I was actually listening to that the other day. <laughs> yeah, yeah. so this does not have that. And when there are mutes, they function in the traditional way that thrash mutes do, even if the emphases are really weird. There yeah. are a lot of very satisfying chug parts on this record, and like some, basically like, some, some Morbid Angel-style breakdowns, but like so ignorant that people wouldn't associate them with Morbid Angel at first. Which yeah. Is, uh, 
Well, I think that connects to these guys are really interested in sort of Morbid Angel across their career, because even within that sample, you can hear stuff that sounds like directly referential to Covenant, but also stuff that sounds directly referential to Gateways, especially when things open up. Um, you know, Gateways to Annihilation, in a sense, is almost like proto-modern behemoth. It opens mm -hmm. a lot. Oh, yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, it opens up a lot of that sort of uh, bringing that Phrygian uh, possibility space back right. into death metal after it was sort of denial, shot away. Right. Yeah, 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 exactly. Um, uh, speaking of when these guys do do palm mutes, uh, here's a really cool sample. This is a song called Blacker Than Night Into the Cryptic Realm of Saiega. Um, this one is particularly thrashy. But again, back to the idea of quantity being a quality all of its own. When Internal Suffering does like a palm-muted trem run in sort of the Slayer style, holy fuck is it fast and loud and intense. Uh, and I really like the sort of just clear, simple, loud production that allows you to hear every single one of those strokes and just provides that, like, your muscles involuntarily tighten <laughs> listening to this one. this band's sense of pacing uh, over the course of a song. It, 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 and they work in this very strange space of tempo where it's like kind of as fast as you can go while still being like 
clearly coherent, you know, it, you know, 10 BPM faster and we'd be into that sort of like nithing territory of like, oh, fuck. Well, I, I just like don't know what's happening and I'm kind of listening to this like noise music. Mm-hmm. Um, and they like skirting this really ragged edge of like, this is probably as far as you can push some of these riff ideas before you start getting into the really abstract brutal death territory. That makes sense. It's given how fast they're playing, it's astonishingly crisp. Yeah. <laughs> you really can hear every note. Um, and it, it, you can hear every note and it's sort of a rhythmic dimension. <coughs> um, yeah, yeah, this the, part is, sorry, go on. Oh no, I was just going to say, yeah, those palm mute runs are, are, are fascinating because it's like, you can't really tell if it's just like an open note being played really quickly or if there is dimension to the riff because the palm muting is so intense and it's played at such a speed that you can hear individual strikes, but it's very hard to get the tone color out of it. So I love that dance in between more approachable old school death metal ideas and just like the sheer impact and abrasion of like modern avant-garde brutal death. I think in a lot of those, they're not, um, they're playing sorts of rhythms where they could be doing open strings, but they're not. Yeah. Um, uh, it, it's um, in the so in the kind of in the very the first riff was very thrashy but the note choice was just demented um, <laughs> yeah <laughs> was, was the note choice was wild that that riff was that was a great example of I mean this is I think a pretty cliche thing to say about Morbid Angel at this point something we pointed out before but right the use of sort of um hideous major key riffs mm-hmm. the first of those riffs did not have too many chromatics in it it was just a really bizarre threatening major key um you know like the uh like those guys blowing the trumpets near Nyarlathotep having just like way too good a time yeah um, and uh the um and it was but the the thrash rhythmic fundamentals were there for sure um, and then there's more mute riffs after that that get a little closer to traditional thrash riffing, especially that breakdowny part. Mm-hmm. But they're subdividing at the speed of the 16th run brutal death throughout, mm-hmm. at, at, and and or or the way they're making entire riffs out of chugs is very much in the style of that more uh, that that more sort of um, self-contained style of brutal death. Um, yeah. It also is just like um, adding unnecessary subdivisions as a sign of sort of contempt for the listener or contempt for for other bands is was very characteristic of our our Gosselin who we reviewed last week. Something we should have that would have been we could have set up front, but there's a reason. um, This was originally we were going to review this these two bands, these two brutal death bands, alongside the Argoslin and Strix Esquises. And what all of them had in common was various kinds of modern death and black metal repurposing fundamental thrash technique. Yeah. Uh, and so the kind of um, giddy density of chug here uh, sort of connects it to, say, I guess that is a proximity to Argoslent and to the other epic war metal that's more morbid angelly. Yeah. I, I can definitely see that. You know, I, I think a lot of it can almost be simplified down to just like, this might be as extreme as brutal death 
can get while still r- remaining in like direct proximity to like heavy metal kicks. Mm-hmm, you mm-hmm. know, there's a, uh, yeah, a that, yes, and a, there's an excitement and just a sort of like blunt inherent coolness to this music that um, while I love the direction that a lot of Brutal Death has gone in into this sort of like abstract art music territory, I mean, we cover plenty of that on the show. There really is something to be said for bands being out there that retain that proximity to the origin and find new ways to push the envelope further and further while still being like recognizably related in some distant way to Iron Maiden. Also, kind of free associating here, um, but uh, maybe just trying to, yeah, sort of, when I was listening to that sample, I I, I heard what you meant about playing Slayer riffs, uh, you know, faster than Slayer, basically. Mm -hmm. Um, And the other band, I the band I think of when I hear sort of playing Slayer riffs faster than Slayer is actually Converge. Um, mm, okay. Who have written in their sort of mid-period Jane Doe and really the record before it, which I think was Petitioning the Empty Sky. I can't remember the exact Maybe it was a, the other one, but I think it was that. They play um, a part of the core fast, the core fast thrash beat riffing very often just sounds like Slayer riffs Slayer never wrote and like just as good mm-hmm. um, and, and, and faster. Um, and there's, there's, so there's a whole other school of doing that, but there's kind of proximity here. Like a lot of the more sort of the ways they were punctuating their phrases in that last sample with these kinds of, uh, moments of more, uh, more sort of scrunk chords, or then they sort of like wildly falling dissonant leads, uh, that had kind of like the, mm-hmm. you know, the breakdown moments. That, that was kind of, you could hear them doing In Brutal Death kinds of similar things to bands like Converge. Um, yeah, and, and is, that's that also ties back to something you said. Um, I remember when we uh, reviewed the 200 Stab Wounds record. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I forget if that was last year or a year before. Um, where, you know, there are there's like a case to be made and there's a certain way of perceiving death metal in which Slayer is the first death metal band. Mm-hmm. And I think that Internal Suffering is, in a sense, part of that lineage. For sure. I mean, even the idea of there are sort of... If, if what marks death metal... Um, this was actually... I mean, we've talked about stuff like this, but it was put very clearly by the Scale It Back guy on his channel mm-hmm. recently... Right. What free? What marks death metal departing from thrash is liberating the melody from pedal point. Mm-hmm. Right. Pedal point becomes a tool in your kit rather than the 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 end all be all of the structures. Yeah. And so Slayer do both kind of proto death metal open string trim, and also there are riffs like that that although it's hard to hear because they're playing so fast, I'm pretty sure they're just melodies being played on continuous chug. Maybe yeah. they're like chugging single strings really fast, um, and so that that tradition of like um, non-pedal point unpunctuated stream of chug is alive and well here. Clearly, yeah, yeah, I I, I can I can dig that. Well, cool. So now we've got the uh, do we have the black metal guy samples now? My mm-hmm. samples. All right. Um, 
So I think for whatever reason, I sort of preferred the re this material on the second half of the record. And I think that might be because in terms of the, the focus on the first half is just pure blister and speed and aggression. Mm -hmm. uh, and certain, and to, you know, this is a 32 minute record, which for Brutal Death is about maybe arguably as long as you want it to be. Yeah. Right? Pushing yeah. the upper end of, <laughs> of the attention span. They start retaining interest by whipping out a lot of interesting, uh, not like a, a certain more sort of dramatic or gut satisfying moments that they're not as interested on in the first half, which is just going for a sort of uniformity and speed. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, maybe I'm just um, maybe I'm just being a noob and saying there's catchy stuff on the second half. Um, <laughs> well, I think I think it opens up. A little bit atmospherically I think they 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 pull back on the like ridiculous density just enough to give the songs a little more room to breathe yeah and don't get me wrong a ridiculous density is awesome I think they just realized that like past you know 15 minutes of that it's inherently satisfying right yeah. and then they just sort of start yeah start opening up a bit more so um uh, Paramount Abomination is really good. Uh, there's it has a that's like the um, which one is that? It's track seven. Mm -hmm. uh, it's got really cool sort of um, and the song itself is weighted towards the second half, right? Where there's sort of a big breakdown that changes things. Um, and that's a consistent structure across this record, and especially on the second half, right? We've talked about how one of the important techniques of a classic extreme metal song is a uh, a big back end, mm -hmm. right? You know, the secret riff you've got in your pocket so that you're not just writing verse-chorus structures. Um, and uh, there's a lot of that on the second half of the record. Um, so here is the next track. We're going to eight. This is Outer Gateways. The portal is between the stars. Um, and we're starting off, as the sample starts, we're coming off the end of a slithery atmospheric riff. Yeah. <laughs> 
it's interesting how, how much you can associate like the azagtote guitar style with just like the relationship between just two chords with weird voicings. Like just that that little fill at the end is something purely morbid angel. Even as as small and short as it is, it just it doesn't exist without them. Yeah, I think that's very true. And speaking of which, we basically have uh, the sickest part of Lion's Den. Oh yeah, I was the, thinking it was like Lion's. It was uh, it was very Covenant that that whole back back in Reunions might be known. Fuck it, like the coolest moment. <laughs> yeah. On that album. So basically, right, we get, they pull out, so there's some interesting things happening here. We get a typical, in, in a good way, we get a internal suffering riff, right? Um, one of those sort of high cortisol kind of um, uh, pedal, pedal point, open string pedal point things. Um, and then uh, around 25, 25, we hit behemoth territory. Uh-huh. Right, the the intervals are a little weirder, but like you could hear that on a Behemoth record. Yeah, uh, it just lights into the very sort of gut punch. You're you're doing pedal point, but in a rolling double bass breakdown, and then it just stops. And they introduce the sort of bulldozer lion's den riff. Um, really cool. Uh, and um, and and they're also in the. In I think the thing I'm work on the internal suffering riff. There's a lot of really cool slides. Yeah. Um, uh, which is part of the slithery sound of this band, the the tentacular attack, <laughs> the the sloshing Colombian quality. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. 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 Um. So yeah, that part is very satisfying and cool. And you know they're not just biting lions. Then it's rephrased in a brutal death way. Mm-hmm. Uh, um. Then uh, we get to our last sample um, with some really strong, I mean, just I think just thrashing, uh, you'd call it. Um, we're starting this one from the beginning of the track. Uh, so basically right where Outer Gateways ends. Um, and uh, this is Subterranean Rapture, parentheses, Cosmic Inbreeding.
Did we just play the whole song? I, did we?
All right, we are back with uh, actually another brutal death record, but one of a substantially different character from Internal Suffering. Uh, this is the new album by Afterbirth, titled In But Not Of, out now on Willow Tip Records. Uh, this is the band's third full length, and for anyone not familiar, Afterbirth is a band with a uh, an odd but very long-running pedigree. Um, Afterbirth is a Long Island brutal death band, you know, basically from the initial wave uh, of that style, starting back in 93. Uh, they released a couple demo tapes, the important one being Psychopathic Embryotomy in 1994, before they dissolved for many, many years until coming back much later and finally releasing their first full length in 2017. And what's crazy is... In terms of lineup, uh, all but the vocalist who unfortunately committed suicide uh, are the original members. Uh, the new vocalist is Will Smith, who is in a bunch of different bands. He is in Reeking Aura. Uh, I actually saw him uh, play down here somewhat recently uh, with that band. He's in uh, Exsanguinated, and he's been in other stuff like BioLich, and uh, I, I think... A lot of people in the comments are talking about a band called Artificial Brain, who I've heard of in connection with, like, I guess the really, just that sort of niche of very technical disso black stuff. But apparently yeah. he has left Artificial Brain. Yeah, yeah, I don't think he's with them anymore. But he's also the guy that runs the uh, the Heavy Hole podcast. Um, mm -hmm. So a lot of people probably know him from that. Cool guy. Um, so... Afterbirth is interesting in that they were one of the earliest bands to essentially arrive at a fully formed slam death sound all the way back in 94, albeit with like quirks befitting that time period. Um, and they're very important and revered among like, you know, slam people because of that demo tape. You know, it would be comparable to stuff like Reputilation, uh, where I think they would release their demo tape back in 96. Anyway, this this early wave of post-suffocation, Long Island, brutal death, carving out its own niche. Um, but a lot of those bands didn't end up putting out full length, so... It was very weird when Afterbirth came back. I don't think anyone really expected that. Um, what was even weirder is that they came back in a very strange form, which is at once fully slamming brutal death metal and fully avant-garde prog at the same time, which uh, to any sensible person sounds like the worst combination of things possible, but is actually sort of awesome. Uh, back in 2020, uh, they released their second album called Four Dimensional Flesh, which made like a huge splash in the brutal death scene. I remember uh, talking to uh, Connor from Oncology, where he said that that was sort of, uh, I, if I recall correctly, that that was like far and away his favorite uh, record of that year. And I've heard a lot of other guys that I really respect in that scene say the same thing. And yeah, it's an excellent record. So here we are with the third full length, In But Not Of. Um, and... This is going to be very tricky to describe because this is a record that's probably about 50% brutal death by weight and the other 50% is a melange of, I, I guess the easiest way would be to say like prog and shoegaze ideas. 
um, but synthesized into a whole that doesn't sound strained. Um, I'm kind of I'm kind of impressed at how naturalistic this record sounds, given how disparate its constituent elements are. Um, this is a record that, over the course of actually a, a relatively brief running time, uh, you know, just about 35 minutes, manages to explore a lot of different corners of music and be, like, really, really fucking good all the way through. Um, this is just one of those cases where uh, this is a band composed of guys who are just such sophisticated musicians. They are able to make things work that very few other people will be able to. Um so I think this might be a case where this is an amazing album that will have possibly dire consequences in the metal scene uh, from people like attempting to emulate it, but not understanding that they need 30 years of experience to pull it off. Uh, but before we get too deep into the weeds on that, uh, Black Metal Guy, what was your impression of this one? Well, I mean, picking up where you left off, I, I completely assumed this record was... Uh, recorded by much younger guys, mm -hmm. um, like like probably like Zoomers, yeah. Um, because it's it, it, and so the fact that it's not is a pretty unique musical achievement, right? That these guys were formative in slam, uh, you know, back even in in the nineties, uh, and then at this point have sort of reinvented themselves to this extent. Is it shows a they've completely refused to lose touch. Mm -hmm. um, which is cool and shows a groundedness in, you know, like a, a lot of other guys just say like, well, I don't really listen to anything after, um, you know, I, I don't really listen to anything after, uh, you know, the first couple of immolation records or whatever. Right. Um, this is, uh, these guys clearly listen to, have kept track of everything happening in extreme music for the last, you know, for since they started um and that's that's evident here and the sensibility right of sort of brutal death linked to this linked to i really spacey prog but drawing material drawing technique and melodic ideas from stuff like shoegaze and post-rock and really like quote-unquote post-black metal mm -hmm. um all of that's here um as a kind of prog side to the music, um, doing all that makes them sound like something like Astral Tomb, mm -hmm. right? And like Astral Tomb, this presents a more music substantial and uh, serious alternative to you know garbage like the uh, that one band from Denver, um, <laughs> um, and. It's, uh, or Boulder or whatever they're from. Um, and, and so I, it, it's probably going to be popular with people who like blood incantation, um, unfortunately. Oh. Is, but, which is funny because a lot of those people would not touch brutal death with a fucking 15 foot pole, but <laughs> they wouldn't have touched incantation or time ghoul with that pole either. And now they do, right? Yeah. Um, so that's interesting. Um, there's another side to the accessibility that's also interesting, right? There is this sort of like ready-made niche for it at this point. But um, beyond that, we both noted when we, you know, when we, in our, in our notes, we both wrote, this is 
shockingly well-rounded. Mm-hmm. And it seems like they're using brutal death as a vehicle to present a certain kind of um, just uh, full-service musical experience that is uncommon in the more niche reaches of the underground and arguably hasn't really been accomplished in the overground since the early 2000s. Yeah. that it's Or really it's, hasn't been. It is very interesting the, the way this record is structured and paced. I, I think that it's... I think you really nail something there when you talk about it as a sort of whole musical experience. This, while much of the material here is brutal death, this feels like an ambitious 2000s metal album that is both wholly self-contained and can point in any number of directions for future development. I like that too, and for listeners getting into it. I would say, and I mean this in a just objective and good way, the ideal listener for this is a 14-year-old boy. Yes. Um, this is dazzling. These are pe- these people could be ha- could be and have played music for any other kind of audience, but this seems written for I I I wasn't really this 14-year-old boy because I wasn't listening to metal particularly at the time, but there's a certain kind of but maybe I got it in other genres, right? There's a certain kind of record that the 14-year-old boy can, you know, he's sitting on the floor in the hallway at lunchtime because he doesn't have any friends or interest in them, and he's listening to his Walkman or, you know, the nowadays equivalent, Um, and the music offers him everything, right? There's Mm, a... There is brutality and extremity that he hasn't really encountered anywhere before and is related to a bunch of underground bands he's never heard. There is a sense of adventure and wonder to it that's new to him. There's a kind of uh, paranoid bleakness that speaks to, I guess you could say, growing disenchantment as a teenager. Mm -hmm. Um, And all those things are bound together in ways that are still immediately accessible. And so I try to think about what bands would fit that bill. Well, within Extreme Metal, the only one, the one I thought of first is a band we both hate, which is Opeth. Yes, um, but but you do you nail again you nail on something there, which is like we don't like Opeth, but for a certain kid in high school, Opeth was like the most important thing they'd ever heard, and a lot of those guys went on to make excellent music. Yeah, a lot of guys our age who are into the same shit as us still swear by it. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I was walking down the... I, I live in a, a bigger city now, and I was just walking down the street the other day, and some guy with long hair called out my mongrel's cross shirt. He, I was like, wait, you like this band? Like, you know this band? What? Um, and he was just like, hell yeah, man. You know, gave through the horns, and he was wearing an Opeth hoodie. Yeah, because Opeth but is... he listens to, like, you know, cryptic Australian black thrash. Yeah, because Opeth is, like, not something we're into, but it's very much music for serious nerds. You know, a, mm-hmm, a, mm-hmm. A, not, not a hipster nerd or, like, a Marvel movie nerd, but a sort of serious, studious music nerd. Mm-hmm. Um, and th- this record is very much for that same guy. Yeah, I mean, as a as a sort of, like, hardcore and sort of post-punk guy or whatever in high school I I think I looked down on the kid in the Opeth shirt but like Mm. if I was less of a 
teenage dickwad, I could have talked to him and we probably would have had a lot in common. Right? Yeah. Um, um, the other the other thing we really need to talk about is that I, I would argue that this might be the first brutal death album I've ever heard where as far as a single musical influence goes the furthest, it's probably Tool. Yeah, so that's another... So I was going to say, most of the bands that provide that kind of experience simply aren't in extreme music at all. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so Tool... There's a a long-standing argument over whether Tool is a metal band. I've gone back and forth on that. I think Tool is a metal band. They're at Um, least honorary. Yeah, They're a successor to the most metal side of goth in the 80s. And if you take Fields of the Nephilim and you add, like, chugged breakdowns and, like, big sort of guitar solo pyrotechnics and double bass, I don't really know how that's not metal. Mm -hmm. Especially if the songs are eight minutes long, right? It, It might technically not be extreme metal because there's no screaming and blast beats. But like you know, um, uh, it's it, it's definitely whatever it is. It's also metal. Uh, but yeah, so Tool is a huge influence here. We heard some some of the coolest parts of the last Astral Tomb record had Shameless Tool influence, which I think is good. Mm-hmm. We've both thought that's a band that people in this constellation should be drawn on way more than they are. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Tool is, uh, and I think maybe you know. With you talking about like the audience for this being sort of a high school kid, I think it might take guys this age to be to to have that the simultaneous proximity and distance from the culture to pull on tool directly. And to make a record of this scope, because a a high school aged kid today has not heard those records in the way that they, they have access to all of it, right? Mm-hmm. And they scroll through it in a kind of confectionary way but like the experience of being limited to just the 10 good cds you own that your mom hasn't found yet yes is, um extremely different from what's available now and they both have their i mean there's also a benefit to like 16 year olds growing up and knowing senior volant but mm-hmm. like i mean it's a uh it, but like there's a unique kind of depth that comes from just sitting with the 10 records you've got yes and so opeth Tool, I would say Mastodon probably, and outside that sphere, uh, maybe a kind of band that did that for me as a kid would be like Radiohead or whatever, right? Mm. Radiohead doesn't offer heaviness in the way those other bands do, but it offers a completely, uh, this just vast experience that you only get, Afterbirth have recorded the kind of record you could only record when a label would pay for studio time. Yeah. And I, I think that one of the things that binds all those things together is, that, I mean, this might sound, in some cases, I would say this in a way that is supposed to be sort of mocking, but here my intent isn't that all of those bands that we described are bands that you can, as like a young guy, build an identity around, in mm-hmm. a sense. Mm-hmm. Like all of those bands can be your life for a few mm-hmm. like really important years. Mm-hmm. Um and it's so crazy that Afterbirth is doing that, but also with a, a sort of restraint. Like, does it, isn't it crazy that this album is only 35 minutes long and it's not over an hour? Yes, that's a good point. I, I think they part of that is they're very attuned to their specific medium, which is Brutal Death. Yes. And yes. in a way, this is on Willow Tip for a reason. I think you could say it's brutal death, but it has a proximity to grind in part because of the short, short song titles and in part because of the aspects of the whole post-hardcore 
tradition that are in here. Yeah, I mean, this is uh, you know, this is just pulling on so many things, and the guys involved in this band are very interesting um, because these are these are not dudes with a whole lot of metal history outside of Afterbirth. Now, obviously, these guys are like diehards for extreme metal, but for instance, you know, Cody Drasser, the guitarist, is a guy who appears to have been really only making sort of like strange uh, meditative electronic ambient music like in the time between the original demos and these new albums and as was, these are guys who have explored just radically different places in music I mean fucking the the bassist is the current bassist for Helmet yes (laughs) you mentioned last show uh, yeah with Strix you you mentioned the guy from Strix wrote to say we were you were right on about that and oh awesome in the world Um, so Um, so yeah we've got a, a fascinating intersection of things of guys who are at once you know completely underground extreme metal and simultaneously complete sort of prog record collector nerds um so we've got something that is very authentically extreme but also provides this whole experience and perhaps crucially one thing that we haven't mentioned you know talking about these you know bands like opeth or tool is that this is a a deeply and nakedly emotive record in a way that almost nothing in brutal death is and it feels to me like these guys understood that to make emotive brutal death metal just isn't really a thing so the way they did it was by accessing other genres and somehow it doesn't feel like a study in whiplash and contrast there is something very organic and contiguous about everything that goes on it's just it's a really fascinating piece and i i think i'm going to come back to this one a lot yeah it's kind of a kind of a riddle um yeah so i, I might um yeah let's move towards the samples from there it's um it in terms of the the link to Radiohead, right? There's a mood here, uh, and there are certain common concerns that you would get on any of the classic Radiohead albums. I mean, for me, it was Kid A, but um, mm-hmm. there is it. There's a concern with, um, and some of the same things. Nithing was concerned. Not Nithing. What was the other one? Uh, a trichomoniasis. Mm-hmm. Yes, uh, yes. There's a sort of a, a horror at the. Um, uh, biopolitical regime of control or this sort of um the society of control there's a horror at sort of soft the seamless and seamless and universally integrated soft totalitarianism of our contemporary culture right Mm. um a deep sense of alienation from that and stepping back from it um maybe sort of maybe there are moments in radiohead that offer some way out this record is a bit more concerned with that, right? It um, right, it's called "In But Not Of," and right? we'll get to that. We'll get to that more with the title track. But um, I feel like from the very beginning, um, especially from the second, the, the first track is sort of obligatory thrasher. Uh, second track is where the record really starts. This is also like uh. Like internal suffering, this is also very thrashy, brutal death. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're gonna start off at the beginning of track two, "Devils with the Dead Eyes." You'll hear a ton of thrash, and you'll hear 
Melodic ideas that don't sound anything like a band like Radiohead or even like Tool, but suggest a similar kind of um, uh, um, hyper-aware paranoia. Quick, total bolt of lightning. Can't believe I didn't think of this before. Uh, Voivod has to be a huge thing here. Oh, uh, that's a band we never talk about. Yeah, I'm not really a big Voivod guy, but just listening to, like, even just the, this section in particular is like, oh, Voivod's written all over this record, but but updated for a more modern era. The early punkish Voivod shit is cool, but I feel like something about it, it was probably the vocals, just made it not really land for me when I was younger. I'm going uh, to get more out of it now. It's hyper long hair. Yeah. Yeah. But the, the funny, it's hyper long hair, but they were like tight with the dudes from Amoebics, right? Mm-hmm. Or, yeah. or became tight with them later, right? The guy played in Tau Cross for a minute. Anyway, so, um, uh, yeah, very long hair music. I mean, King Crimson, I assume, too. Yes. King Crimson yes. is a band that could be big for the kind of high school boy who was the audience for this. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and, and so the sort of science fiction feel in the riffs is very Voivod or King Crimson. Um, mm-hmm. But the interesting thing is it starts off, you know, we got an evil laugh and then we've got a section of thrash beat stuff that just sounds like really basic, primordial gut level thrashing. Um, and then when it lights into the blast, the blast riff has two halves. The first half is just the world's most basic Thrash riff. It's like in Dorian. And there's a way where if you're a kid who likes heavy stuff but have never heard, you know, death metal or whatever, you hear that and you're like, oh, this is death metal. Mm-hmm. Right? 
This is like you're you're like oh this is this this is extreme metal. This is like really metal, and in part because it's offering you a more extreme version of just some of the most intuitive fundamental uh, metal phrases there are. But then in that second riff, right, they do the sort of, and I'm not saying. Right, these guys can write all sorts of riffs, but they're deliberately using this stock material. And in that second riff, then there's the second half of the phrase where they start playing these strange sliding chords. And suddenly the atmosphere just opens up and you're you're sort of gazing through you know distorted psychedelic soaked vision at the horrors of the you know the contemporary dystopia. Yeah, um, there, there's there's but something. But it's about... also kind of cool, right? It's also kind of blissed out. Yeah, well, there's um, there, there's something there's something very theatrical about this record. There's there, there's an almost musical theater quality to it, where it's like, uh, mm. you know, the the opening of this song is like. Um, watching something evolve very quickly. You know, there's there's oh, almost like there's ooh. almost a history lesson happening in the riffs there. I, you know, I like that a lot. Bringing it from the mid 80s way up into modernity. And that's something that also that's an arc that happens across the record as well where the first half tends to be much more heavily loaded with the brutal death material and the back half is more interested in the abstracts or psychedelic prog material. Um, mm, and I, and I bet that I bet if we get really into it, there's a lot of that sort of fractal nesting of these repeated motifs. Very nice. That's a really good point. Uh, that's a really good point. Two bands that we've covered before that this is sort of like in a completely lateral way that are much more in extreme metal are Spire from Australia. Right? Oh yeah, very, I've, I've been you, thinking about that record a lot lately. Actually. You pointed out how theatrical it was and how li- linked it was to heavy rock stuff like Tool or Rush. Mm-hmm. Right? And then on another thing, uh, Day Acquisitor, right? Mm, like yeah. rigidly niche defined, uh, sort of rigidly niche defined de- blasting death metal that is um that nevertheless has this kind of um carnivalesque science fiction atmosphere yeah um, sort of a chromed off Giger-esque quality yeah i like that yeah 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 gear geiger chrome and so yes day acquisitor has that so some of the sliding chords that you heard there those could be day acquisitor chords if you turned it into like just the uh, the most bludgeoning behemoth riff. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. If you if you amped up the grinding quality of it to to the max, yeah. Um, there's yeah. also a good commitment to ideas there. So when they're running through the thrash, there's a moment where they do the speed metally. Uh, they rephrase it as a sort of speed metally thrash riff. There's a squalling lead part. They don't try to make it more technical or proggy. They just squall on one note. Mm-hmm. There's there's moments that are very deliberately underplayed on this record, um, mm-hmm. and I, I think that th- this is a band that's very aesthetically they're very tricky to understand. The, the lyrics across Afterbirth's records are kind of sci-fi, but ultra abstract like you can only really describe them in terms of like repeated motifs of uh uh, sort of abstract spiritualism and repeated themes of sort of decay and dissolution, both like mm. physically and spiritually, like into time itself. 
Uh, like the first album is called The Time Traveler's Dilemma. And so it's like, yeah, this is so tool. <laughs> I, fucking, mm-hmm. I really like it. But yeah, no, it's... Um, the Time Traveler's Dilemma. You go back in time to kill Hitler, but the problem is Hitler's your dad. <laughs> what an am, what an ambitious <laughs> ambitious it was, twist. It was that was a really difficult play to present at high school when I wrote it. Um, okay, so let's go to a uh, let's go to another track where we're gonna hear a, a full song. A lot of the tracks on this record are very brief, like two minute numbers, and I like that. Um, there's a uh, like you said that relates to the presentation of the brutal death, but I think it also relates to again this sort of musical theater quality of like individual chapters in an aggregate work that is designed to be perceived in a very linear fashion. There's a a very strange abstract story being told here. I'm I'm not a hundred percent what it is, but I'm intrigued. So I want to go to the track vivisected psychopomp. Um, this is a track that is basically two big chunks of brutal death metal uh, bookending either side of a, a big spacey prog part. Now, to to do something like this in an extreme metal song, there's a couple different routes you can take. Either you can do a sort of one-off bespoke feature, which basically declares to the audience, you know, we're not tied to any conventions of genre, which is a cool thing to do. Then there's using it more consistently across your tracks where you're saying, hey, this isn't a gimmick. This is something that is uh, we consider fundamental to the music. Afterbirth kind of split the difference in that there's a lot of these bespoke sections, but they all tend to be pretty different from one another, which suggests to me that they're seeing each of these songs as deeply self-contained pieces where... Uh, no particular quality is given mastery over any other. This, this is, in some, we, we say, because this is an extreme metal podcast, this is a brutal death record, but it is a brutal death record as well as a sort of spacey psychedelic prog record. And you probably can't say it's more of one than the other. Um, but this is a short one, and I think it's structurally beautiful, so let's just listen to the whole thing.
I, I really love this song. Uh, I, I, I think it's uh, so cool. Uh, there's something purely Long Island brutal death about moments. There's there's purely sort of spacey, uh, you know, just stoned out sort of prog stuff going on. There's complex, complex sort of technical ornamented textural work happening. Uh, this is like a two minute track that really shows like everything this band can do in one place. And um, you mentioned this a little bit later in the notes uh, that some people in the like the comments on the YouTube video are comparing this to Lycathia Flame. And I think that is very fair uh, because Lycathia Flame is something that occurred to me while listening to this record, especially in moments like that spacey prog section in the middle there, which is akin to some of the uh, sort of clean wandering moments on Elveniferous. Um, and that was an album that also took its sort of extra metal influence extremely seriously and saw it as a naturalistic part of the whole of, you know, what it was attempting to express. Um, I, man, this is, this is such a wild record, but it's so sort of relaxed and confident in itself at the same time. Um, this is a, a mixture. I, I, I've said it before, but I just want to reiterate, this is a mixture that in less talented hands would just absolutely just go wrong. Um, but there's just a, a sophistication and there's a light touch with everything here that elevates it way above pretty much everyone. Because like on this track, you can hear stuff that is referential to so many places. You can hear Lycathia Flame, you can hear Old School Long Island Slam, you can hear Demi Lich, and uh, sort of the most abstract edges of uh, 90s fin death and stuff. It's, it's, it's really lovely. I, I like it a lot. There's a weird, um, what do you mean by light touch? I can hear that. One thing that connects it to the kinds of bands we were talking about at the beginning is like, if you go into this from a brutal death or death metal perspective, um, you won't find the density of riffing that mm. you're used to. As in the, um, the, the individual riffs are not contoured with the specificity that is important in more niche-focused riff-driven music. Mm -hmm. um, I think the emphasis is way more on the sum of the parts and that also goes, that goes sort of laterally from riff to riff, but also within a section. So a good example of that would be um, in the proggy part, they're just playing like dyads, right? Just doom, 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 doom. Just like nice, nice sort of like one note to another spaced out arpeggio mm -hmm. stuff that kind of just sounds epic, right? Um, another, a band doing this in a lesser way uh, would just let that be as the main musical idea and you have the bass double it or play a root note or get out of the way. Yeah. Um, and in this case, they just play this really sort of basic kind of spacey, blissed out prog figure and then the bassist is going to town under yeah. doing some sort of thing that's not, it's not really riffy, but it's extremely dense musician-y playing. He's doing sort of rumbly, b rumbling bass runs in a kind of atonal one note way that you might hear on like Primus or something of that sort. 
Yeah, the, I'm, I, I'm missing some of the best the best reference points for that. But um, no, I, I get where you're getting at, and I, I think in terms of my my choice of words, they're light touch. I, I I think in this is a record that is technical and intense in certain ways, but is more defined by a sort of looseness by a. a <laughs> it, it's this is. This is going to be so fucking, like, stoner brain right here. But this is an album that is less about seizing on ideas and more about just letting them drift in and out, sort oh. of naturally. There's um, like a... What it, it's like the meditation. There's a certain form of, like, basic... There's, like, different... Or we always think of meditation as, like, you must focus on, mm-hmm. like, Buddha or quick, think about nothing. Right. Yeah. But so, like the, the at least like the entry level. What's the name? Alan Watts type shit. Is you're supposed to just let thoughts flow past you. Yeah. And yeah. and it, I mean and this whole this whole record has a sort of like oceanic quality to it. You mm-hmm. know, mm-hmm. the tide comes in, the tide goes out. Who can explain it? You know. <laughs> it's <laughs> um. So and I mean you can even bring it to like specific musical decisions. Like for instance, one of the things that's really intriguing about this record is the commitment to maintaining that slam vocal style but here it's not used uh, to create like heaviness or grotesquery as it was even on early afterbirth demos here it's just about its very alien um timbral quality uh it is not um it's not meant to express like human emotion or something it's 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 designed to be a vocal presence that is as abstract and as sort of freeform and floating as the rest of the music is. You know, these these sort of weird inhaled gurgles aren't there to, you know, talk about killing people like they are on most yeah. records. They're they're seeing the the hidden potential for it to be employed in the same way that like a that one of, you know, John Zorn's flirtations with extreme metals would employ them. I think there's more of a continuity there. At other times, you've talked about the non-human emotional quality. You've talked about those kinds of vocals in general as not mm-hmm. evoking human emotional quality, and really brutal death and a lot of extreme metal as not evoking human emotional quality. And uh, brutal death is the extreme of that in terms of blankness. But mm-hmm. like the feeling or the, the the sort of the the affect there is not. Um, the wanting to kill people thing, right? That's like sub, that's not like a, emotion implies conscious engagement and reflection, right? Yeah. It's an impulse or an instinct that's animal or mechanical or both in brutal death metal, right? Mm-hmm. And um, although, I mean, I suppose in certain songs there's a kind of psychopathic deliberateness to torture or whatever, but yeah. in the music itself, right? is not an emotion it's, it's, it's just sort of um, it's <laughs> excuse me black metal guy my primary emotion is you know <laughs> yeah, yeah well that's that's why we listen to this music um, the uh, yes so um, uh, um, uh, okay there's a lot of ways you could riff on that but moving on um, the uh, it it um the, um, I think they're using the non-expressive quality of Brutal Death vocals. They're freeing that from Link to that one feeling. Yes, yes. And they're, they're linking it to a bunch of other, a, a bunch of other uh, 
atmospheric and textural functions that are decoupled from sounding like someone expressing his feelings. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. They're they're disconnecting it from its like inherent aesthetic suggestion. Yeah. Although, I, you know, I, I guess important to remind people when they do the thing, the brutal death thing, they really do it. So there's that breakdown that's kind of like a Thela Hunginjit thing. Like ordinarily, that would just be like us reaching for a frame of reference, but I'm sure that's the sort of shit that's actually being referenced here. Right, there's this King Crimson, Crimson, breakdown. Um, it's sort of brought in by the bass line, um, and over that, he's doing his finest gurgle, sustained gurgle. And if you haven't really been paying attention to it earlier in the song, it's really in front there, and it's really heavy. Mm-hmm. And if you are the per- the 14 year old kid who is not familiar with gurgled inhales, that is going to be crushing. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I remember the first time I heard that shit on, like, college radio late night with, like, you know, brutal death and grind and stuff. And it, it was it, it was just heinously heavy and, and confusing, right? Yeah, and yeah, it's like, why... feelings. Why would you do this? Like, like it, it's, it, it's it, like... It's like, do, do I like this? Um, right? And, uh, wow, this is, this is awful and it's so heavy. Um, uh, the, so, and I think these kinds of vocals will deliver that feeling even if they're in a proggier context, you know? So there, there are moments of just extreme heaviness here. Also the swarming guitar blast section there is very cool and is an example of, they do it with leads, which makes it a little more accessible, but that's basically the same kind of playing that we were talking about on the last record, with Mm -hmm. the sort of of free palm-muted runs. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So yeah, let's get into into the back half of the record now. (laughs) Yeah, so this is the title track, In But Not Of, um, and I guess I would say that on Kid A, there's a track called Optimistic that, I mean, the lyrics are actually pretty bleak, like everything on the record, but the music has a, a sort of um, a insistent, uplifting uh, rhythm to it. Uh, and it's, um, it's more like a, a strange spell. It, it's really a beautiful song. Um, and then there are some just tender, beautiful moments after that in the record that are probably just like the most depressing. But optimistic is, there's something uplifting about it. And this hits at about the same place in the record, in but not of, and is the most overtly beautiful, consonant, and uh, um, revelatory of the tracks, maybe. Um, and But also very simple in the way it does it. Uh, Let's check this out and listen to how they're attuned to basically everything that's happened in uh, the post-black metal world over the last, you know, 20 years.
sample hit the do 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 Yeah, yeah. We were cackling to ourselves because of how much it just sounds like Tool. Oh, yeah. That's, like, directly off of something off of, like, Anima. Yeah, they do it sort of clean with the bass, and then they have the chug. It's, um... It, it, and before that, you know, you could hear the blasted section as sounding kind of like, I don't know, you know, we have a f- fucking deaf heaven or something. Mm-hmm. Um, but, or as sounding like shoegaze, right? Uh, a more, I mean, the cording is more authentically shoegaze than deaf heaven is. But it really, on second listen, uh, we agree, it really sounds like Lycathia like Flame. Yeah. Uh, and those guys wrote to us after we did the review, and they insisted they did not listen to my bloody Valentine. Yeah, it was fascinating. Uh, Petra sent me a, a long message. Uh, he was very kind to talk about it, and he he appreciated everything he said. But apparently, a lot of our spitballing about possible influences was off base. He wasn't which, listening which is to shoegaze because I did a side by side comparison with my bloody Valentine, and you agreed it was like exactly the same thing. Yeah, the 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 fact that he like came up with that stuff in parallel. Also, he said he didn't do any drugs, which is uh, what the co- drugs. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> drugs, big quote marks around that. But yeah, yeah and yeah. in Eastern Europe, in in Eastern Europe, that just means like heroin or anything beyond that, probably. Right? But yeah, so this is um, so this track sort of marks the pivot point of the album, where it really starts more heavily moving in the direction of this sort of uh, wandering shoegaze, uh, shoegazy prog territory. You know, Tool is already in large part kind of shoegazy, especially in their later material. Mm-hmm. But uh, you know, everyone gets what I mean. Um, th- this pivot occurs, and we're in Act Two of the album, you know, heading toward its conclusion. And man, this is where just some of the, they really pull out all the stops in terms of like the most shining sort of beautiful, often major key stuff. And this is, I mean, this is kind of the first time, this is like the first time since Lycathia Flame, someone's really pulled that off to this degree, you know, to this merging of extreme metal with these major key melodic motifs. Yeah, and so going back to the sort of the ideas at the heart of the record, right? Uh, one thing that separates it from some of the more um, teen angst classics that it ends up adjacent to, and makes it more like extreme metal, in that the underline is that the underlying attitude is affirmative, uh, despite the negativity. Um, and the, the, the track title suggests that, right? To be in this uh, decaying world, but not of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and to... Uh, that, that's a kind of... Um, there's a kind of strength being embraced there in the, the will to go on. Um, and it evokes... I don't know. To, you know, to me it evokes stuff from... Uh, you know, uh, that, that, you know, the idea of riding the tiger or um, Junger's idea about the Waldganger or something like that, right? How do you exist within a, uh, a declining and liquidating world with a line up from your own spine to eternity? Yeah. And I mean, you have essentially landed on it, but are you, have you not um, heard that term in, uh, or that sort of phrasing in terms of like uh, Christianity? Oh, interesting. Wait, I... 
Oh, the, the in this world, but not of it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that, it's interesting. Where is that? Yeah. Oh, so that that's it's a, a sort of common paraphrasing. It's primarily a Protestant thing. Catholics don't say it mm-hmm. as much. Um, and it, it's sort of a paraphrasing of a few different verses in the Bible that are specifically talking about the the role of the Christian in the world, you know, to be present within it, you know, our physical forms, but spiritually to be not of its sort of fallen nature, which which points to the sort of abstract spiritualism that this band is interested in, this, this idea of transcendence, uh, of a sort of spiritual boundlessness that isn't tied to, like, mortal concerns. And I, that's that's very interesting that they're using that, because that's like... Me growing up in the South, that's like phrasing that I'm very familiar with. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah, it's evangelical language. Oh, yeah, it's extremely evangelical language. So it's it's very interesting that they're okay. using that to probably point to something that's almost certainly not Christian, but to use that sort of verbiage. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, it's it's the phrasing comes from a Christian way of trying apprehending something similar, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. So the last track is called "Succumb to Life," right? That's a really wonderful title, and again, that's about there's a paradox there, right? That's about an right life as something that's not just your individual life, and that you can be angsty, you can feel it pressing down on you as an oppressive force, your life and your mortality, or you can quote unquote succumb to it and exist in a more joyous way as part of this, you know, imper- this this impersonal process. Which, and, again, we're touching pretty close to Lycathia Flame there with some of the stuff mm-hmm, they're suggesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, I wonder, I, I'd be interested in talking to the guys in Afterbirth whether that was like a specific influence on this record, because the more we talk about it, the more central I think that album might be to this one. Yeah. Also, while we're on the big idea note, the album cover could be lame. It could be like generic cosmic astronaut artwork. Mm-hmm. It's a collage. It looks like there was computer. It looks like computers may have been used to generate it. Mm-hmm. It's awesome. It's so cool. Um, yeah, I want the t-shirt really bad. It, the, it's very neat. So it's a, for those of you who are just listening. I mean, wait, we don't have a visual component to the show. Uh, <laughs> for those of you who aren't feverishly staring at the uh, the thumbnail as you sort of um, uh, as you abuse yourself to our dulcet tones, um, the uh, the co- the cover is a it's a human outline formed from a composite of biological and mechanical parts that are like lifted probably from uh, old photographs and biology textbooks and whatnot mm-hmm. and and like machine I, you know just shots of industrial machinery um, it, it's very neat um, it, it's like a good early 2000s t-shirt yeah or it's a it's almost like spiritually a, a an updated modern reinterpretation of the old you know gore grind gore collage style of like early carcass records the the other thing it reminds me of is um what's what was that we never talk about them on the show but they're they were really good um the the crushing crust grind band that were sort of like hardcore the kind of hardcore marxists who actually talked about the economy um which who who were they um Oh. They, they had they had a sort of like grinding gears album cover that was oh really uh cool. asuk yeah asuk oh yeah yeah oh uh asuk yeah with like anti-capital and misery index yeah, yeah. those are those are outstanding records yeah 
Love that yeah, band. Yeah, Aslik is awesome. That's that's we we forget about them. Yeah, I actually I have a uh, I have an Aslik uh, anti-capital shirt in my closet right now. <laughs> that's, that's pretty sick. Uh, yeah. Um, okay, one last sample. Uh, I want to go to Angels Feast on Flies, which is this is my pick for like the prettiest moment of the record. Um, here, very simply, uh, well, okay, a couple points. One other primary influence here, I think, is a band that you and I have been talking about a lot recently because they've had sort of a resurgence with the Zoomers, which is Deftones. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm actually a really big Deftones fan. Uh, I like that band a lot. And Deftones are a fascinating band who began as a new metal band and progressively transformed into a sort of shoegaze band over the course of their career. Um, but I think a lot of their textural ideas are pretty important on this record. The other thing we're about to hear is uh, Afterbirth, the Long Island brutal death metal band, is going to execute a post-black metal song infinitely better than essentially every post-black metal band. So much happens there. And, you know, I think one of the reasons that I enjoy this record so much is I I get the sense that these guys think about music and the relationships between genres in a very similar way to how you and I do. Like, Mm -hmm. like, you know, especially in that moment with that sort of like Tom driven breakdown bridge section there. 
that means that Afterbirth understand the, like, a natural connection between, like, post-black and a sort of melodic hardcore thing. Mm-hmm. Um, they, they understand the relationship between Ulcerate and Deftones, which is, you know, that's the sort of thing we would think up and it would be a long shot, but these guys have arrived at a very similar place. Um, yeah, well, they do the first Deftonesy thing, right, which is the shoegazy thing with the sort of jump to fuck up rhythm under mm-hmm. it, and then they drop into a second one, but they've taken the uh, new metally rhythmic pulse under it and said, "Oh, you know, remember Deftones is kind of new metal, so that means we can do breakdowns, right?" Mm-hmm. And they're doing a new metal breakdown with the like the the heinous gurgle, which is really heavy, but the guitarists still have the shoegazy tone. So yeah, I hear what you mean. They are people always right uh, a certain like the the abject midwit uh, metal fan likes to dismiss ideas of genre, right? Or like the bands that don't know what the fuck they're talking about. Are like, oh, we're not any genre. We just listen to music, right? The, the this band clearly is interested in genre, not as something to fetishize, but as a toolkit, right? How do you you know the tradition and know how to work with it?
to over the line. 